All right, welcome to our Anything Goes podcast. We're excited to have you again for this episode. I'm here with Pastor Mark one more time. Hello. Hello, audience. We are going to hit a Up couple one. random things today. We want to talk a little about the book of Psalms because that's mm. what we're doing as a church right now. So wanted to ask Mark a few questions about the book of Psalms, maybe break down a little bit about the book being art and what art means and Christianity and art and the world of art a little bit. Mm. and. Uh, how we attack genre and all that kind of thing. So we'll spend a little time on that. But then also, I want to ask Mark about his book a little bit. Got his book here. Hey, look um, at that. Because we can't to the end of the Problem year. Problemofgod.com. <laughs> Grab your copy now. Yes. 10 at a time is the best. Buy in bulk, that's yes. what we say. Yes, um, Because we got to the end of the decade and everyone's doing these posts about things and Mark actually was listed on some end of decade posts of you know books of the decade and Christian writing. It's great. So I wanted to ask him about some of that stuff. And oh. I think for a lot of us, it'd be kind of interesting to know how that all actually happens. How did you actually right. write a book and get it published and all that? So we'll talk right. a little bit about cool. that. And then actually you're working on another book. Mm -hmm. So we'll give you a little sneak peek on what that's all there about. There you go. So let's start with okay. uh, Psalms. Yes. Why did we do this series? Why did we do Psalms? Why did we sit down and say, Psalms is the book, the next yeah. book we should do? Um, well, I think, I think um, there's, there's different Bible books appeal to different kinds of people in certain ways. So there's, you know, they say Martin Lloyd-Jones is one of the best preachers ever. Uh, he has six volumes on Ephesians. Um, and literally he preached through it for eight years or whatever. And I think he had one volume on narrative uh, because he, his whole expository approach was these analytical books, you know, the epistles, right. Romans, right. let's get verse by verse, technical words that mean this. And, and he could spend years on that. Um, so what I try to do is we've done that. Um, but but try to there's all kinds of different people to reach and all kinds of different personalities that connect to the Bible in different ways. So sometimes you got to do narrative like we did Matthew. Sometimes you got to do epistle like we did First Corinthians and analyze every word. And and sometimes you got to do poetry like the Psalms. And so I think it's it's trying to this wide breadth yes. of the library of Scripture, uh, trying to kind of pull out different ways of connecting, you know, all with right. the same goal of right. glorifying. So Jesus. how do you how do you think is best to approach a book like Psalms? You know, we have a little bit more time in this kind of format to be yeah. able to talk about this than on a Sunday morning, but just for like people listening to this, yeah, like you're saying, you go to some of those other books and it's like, okay, it was kind of, for the most part, telling you yeah. what to think about what it's saying, uh -huh. but Psalms is like poetry and yes, art. It's poetry. So even the way you say it, it elevates. It's right, I said it differently. Poetry. It's just, it's different. He's feeling it. Yeah. It feels. Yes. Yeah. So, so for the person listening, what would, what would we say, here are some of the tools, you know, or some of the ways you should approach yeah. this book and books like it in the, in the Old Testament. Well, you, you, know. you got to go into it with uh, kind of the art and science of interpreting and say, okay, this is poetry. So there's going to be things it says that might be writ large or exaggerated or whatever. And then there's things that are like, okay, that's literally saying that. And so it's, um, but you got to approach it like a piece of art and go like, okay, this is artistic. And so I need to, there's got to be some, some, some margin here for interpretive space. And I, yeah. I can't press every single sentence to build a whole theology on it because three Psalms later, he's going to say something else that's a little bit, you know, artistically different. It's yeah. kind of like when you're reading Proverbs yeah. and it's like, if you raise your children according to the Bible, they will not stray. Right. 
And then you go, well, is that actually 100% every time true? No, I know a lot of people whose kids have strayed and yes. they've raised them according to the Bible. So I think my kids have already strayed. Right, they're well, nine yeah, months strayed. old. I think yeah, they're, they're strayed. Done. Uh, yeah, so it's like, what well, was that? Was was that a math equation? The Book of right. Proverbs told me, or was it like a general truth at thirty thousand feet that right. if you structure your life this way, this is kind of what goes. Okay, in. so that's interesting. That I'm gonna ask you about of, this. Yeah, so, yeah. so th we're getting into something like you know we we call holistic biblical theology here, where you have to understand what the Bible as a whole is presenting you in yeah. terms of truth. Right. You you cannot actually just take things in a vacuum. Sure. Yeah. Maybe speak to that a little yeah. bit for everyone. Like how how can how can people do that well? What, well, what are ways people can do that well? We were just so. talking okay, so one example, we were just talking about this where someone asked us why, when I read this Bible passage, the, the disciples say, well, what are you doing, Jesus? And he says, well, haven't you learned this yet? Why don't you understand? Why are you so slow? Why don't you understand, you know, what I did with the loaves and the fishes or whatever? And if you just read that story without having read the loaves and the fishes, you might be like, oh, why is he saying that? I don't really, that doesn't right. really make sense. But then you go back in your devos and you read that story and then put them together and go, oh, I see. There's a flow of this and a flow of that. I think the same thing is true. If we just kind of parachute into these random things and then build a whole theology out of half a verse, it can become uh, dangerous. Right. And so the Psalms is, is you got to read that, you know, okay, holistically, what's the big idea? And that's why some of these Psalms, we can get halfway through them and I can be like, hey, I feel like I really preached the big heart of that Psalm. I can move on. I don't need to like, now I'm going to do, make sure I hit that half a verse next week because I missed it this week. And I think that's a different approach than if we're hitting Romans and I stopped at chapter three, verse 20, I couldn't just move on to chapter four. I'd be like, no, 21 is really important. We got to unpack the, you know, whatever. So, no, that's good. So it's yeah. a little more, yeah. I mean, it's, I think it, you see it all the time, right? Because you see people build these things and, and you, you can take a, you can get off, off track with, you know, you, you read passages that talk about, you know, God will always, you know, give things to his children or mm -hmm. these kinds of ideas yeah. and, you, and you go, okay, well in a vacuum, that sounds great. Yeah. And then you build a whole way of seeing God and living and your hopes and expectations around that without everything else right. in the Bible that right. tells you, no, there's a way you need to read that statement. Yes. You can't just extract that. But yeah. I, I think I would, I would suggest part of that, the very basic level is you got to read your whole Bible. Mm -hmm. If you don't actually read your right. whole Bible, you don't know yeah. what it's actually telling you as a whole. Yeah. If you're only spending time here and here because those are the parts you like, well, you're not putting those in the context of everything else. Yeah. So I mean, that's okay. What would you say is your? What would be your favorite book of the Bible? Oh man, it's interesting. Actually, I should really let everyone question. know. You mentioned Proverbs while you're thinking about this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We debated mm. doing Proverbs instead yes. of Psalms. Yes. We actually had a fierce and intense debate. Yes back and forth about which book and then finally landed on Psalms. Did you win? Yes. Okay. <laughs> sure. You kept pushing me on Proverbs. Right. Proverbs could be good too, yes. Proverbs would be good too. I don't know, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, favorite book, I mean, you don't wanna say, oh, this is, you know, everything to me because then there was, but uh, resonates books, with you. books I love, like, look, can uh, I throw three or four? Yes, okay. sure. Your top three. Okay, okay. Uh, I love three. Genesis. I think the narrative of Genesis is so ridiculously good. Yes. Um, I remember reading it in two sittings, one, two, over two days. I yeah. was going to say one day, but no, two days. 
Um, and it's it's like watching Breaking Bad. It's like yeah. you are you are in the throes of an amazing narrative, and this guy's raping this guy's sister, and then these people are coming in and doing this, and you're like, what's gonna happen? Yeah, is that guy gonna get a face full of yes. death? It's, it's a whatever. disaster. It's yeah, a it's a gone it's show. total disaster. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's brilliant. I love First and Second Samuel, which is what think, I'm reading now. People think Genesis, and they think you know Adam and Eve, and maybe a little bit of stuff with like Abraham and Isaac. Yeah, no, they don't, half they of it's don't Joseph. realize it's like. Yeah, no, it's all this great crazy stuff. stuff yeah, going Jacob on. and and, uh, and, and jo- half of it's Joseph and his whole yeah. thing, and um, so it's it's really this. And then I'm reading First Second Samuel right now, mm. which I think is cool. amazing yeah. uh, storytelling. And you know, uh, you, you know, you took Hebrew in in uh, university, and I did Greek, but. Uh, both languages, especially Hebrew, though, have this amazing depth of multiple layers of meaning in their, yeah. the way they tell stories, and yeah. you know, like, and so there's so you can mine that for your whole life, right? The way you know you get to Noah and you realize that Noah's name in Hebrew means rest, and you go, what is the symbol of this this guy who's floating on a boat where? Rest is the yeah. Sabbath image, and and yeah. now the new creation is being revealed by the water is dispelling like it did five chapters ago when it moved in creation. Now there's new creation. There's only so many animals, and there's a floating thing, and then that's a symbol of the temple, which comes later because it's designed in such a way. But it's really an Eden, and temples an Eden image, and the tabernacle. You know, all these yeah. brilliant depths of what you get into. So I love narratives because narrative theology, I think is very fun and exciting because you're like, that actually meant this and that's picked up later and you know, all yeah. of that. So and fun, you, fact, you know that. fun fact, I taught for Samuel in the summer and probably you're gonna have to teach second Samuel this summer because I think everyone in the class is like, they dug it. We're doing second Samuel, right? Like right? you can't leave us. Yeah. Can't leave us on the, the end edge. What Samuel happens at here? the end? We gotta know. Not to put you on the spot, do you learn? Like, uh, well, the, David's David's ascending it? into the into kingship against Saul at the end okay. of the book. Oh, yes, Saul's okay. demise and everything. And so right. It's like, Has well, Saul now what happens? Started trying to kill him yet at the end of First Samuel? Um, yeah. Chasing him around Israel, yeah. trying to get him. Okay. And he's running around with his merry men, trying to survive. Yeah. David's David's on the run. Robin Hood, man. It's yeah. It's, it's 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 Jesus. Yeah. Jesus running around as the true king of Israel, as the as the actual king tries to kill him. Running around with merry men around Israel trying to live. Yeah. I mean, it's okay. So, mind we'll, count, okay, we'll so count Samuel one and two is the same book. Yeah, I mean, first, second Samuel, hundred percent. Um, and then I go Mark, wow. John, Mark. and Ephesians. And Ephesians. I think if I had those on a on a desert okay, island. Okay, this is very interesting. Yeah. You've chosen five books and not the book you literally did your thesis on. No. So it's like it's a, people associate you with Romans a lot, but is that like not really like a passion kind of thing well, for you, or is it? Or it what, is. Like, I I think I think. It's a great question because I, I love Romans and could teach it, I want to say in my sleep, but that sounds, I couldn't, <laughs> I mean, the, the depth of Romans is so insane that, but literally when I get up and teach it, I don't prep, it's because I've spent 10 years studying it, right. okay, so every nuance of it, every commentary on it I could read, every footnote chased me down to three other footnotes, and so I've spent, since my second year of college, since 2000, 2001, however long that is, it's actually longer than 10 years, uh, thinking about Romans, exegeting Romans, dreaming about it. How does, how does you know, 118 set up 214 and how does three connect into nine and the questions he raises in three or what he deals with the nine to 11, but then that, you know, all of that, right. it's like I bleed it, but 
I'm trying to answer the question like, so I love it, but I'm trying to, I'm almost like, it's so been part of my life that when you say, what are you invigorated to read right now? And right. what should these people, hmm. you know, kind of be reading as inspiration? I want to go to those five hmm. books instead of Romans. Cool. So that's, that's why cool. I answered it that way. But cool. yes, of course, Romans is a passion, deep passion. I love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think for me, I would say, yeah. What about you? <laughs> Thanks for asking. So I didn't know if this was supposed to be a two-way podcast. What about um, you, Jeremy? What are your favorite? Yeah. What's your favorite book? Well, my favorite book yeah. is hard to choose between two: Exodus and Job. I'm not yeah. sure between those two what my favorite wow, would be. Job. Those two are my favorite books, probably. Like a real, like, like okay. Like, so let me. I literally, if I only had Job, I'd be fine. Like I could just study like as a read that book for the rest of my life. So, so I listen to this just, podcast on movies called The Rewatchables. Yeah. And they talk for two, three hours on movies, films that are just rewatched, which is great. And so um, there's different categories. There's what's the best movie ever yes. and what's the most right. rewatchable. Right. And so for you, for you, is Job like the Godfather and the Godfather Part 2 where it's like you could literally turn it on as you did through high school every yes. weekend and watch yeah. it? Yeah. Or is it like Schindler's List where it's like, this is maybe the greatest thing ever put to film, but I can only watch it like five watch times it. in my life. Yeah. I'm not putting it on in the weekend and yeah, making a, good, a bag of popcorn. That's a good question. That's a good question. What is Job? Because Job to oh, me is man. a Schindler's List. Yeah, it might be. I mean, here's the thing with Job to but me, it's and it's poetry. funny because we're talking about art, right? Is is Job is possibly the greatest piece of ancient art we have. Mm -hmm. Like scholars talk about this, not biblical scholars, just scholars talk yeah. about this. Well, there's that, Da Vinci like, Code, the book. And film. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and there's Job. Then there's Job. Right. But they literally look at Job and say, this could be the greatest piece of ancient art yeah. that, that exists. Maybe predates Genesis. Maybe. The yeah. writing of it, but definitely the actual story yeah. itself. And it's like the, just the way it's done and everything. And, and you get into the depth of every character. You, know, you talked about Hebrew. Yeah. Every character in the book of Job speaks in a different level of Hebrew um, Dialect? Like, yeah, it's like, yeah. like well, it's, it's the same language, but it's like in how complicated their poetry is. Mm -hmm. So it's like basic poetry, medium level poetry, right. and you get to God, and God speaks in what is you know, considered to be possibly like the finest ancient mm. poetry ever written right. that we have on record. It's just like all these little things like that. Yeah, like, and the themes of Job are like crazy. Well, it's like, it can uh, get repetitive though through the middle of the book, so. It's like when you read, uh, uh, so I did Greek for three years, and when you read uh, the Gospel of Luke, Luke is a physician, he was a doctor, and so his Greek is very high level. Yes. Where right. when you read right. First Peter, as you can imagine, First right. Peter's a fisherman and maybe the dunces out of the group, <laughs> It's all a mess, you know. It's not great Greek. It's the like, dunce who hey, established everybody. the Church yeah. of Christ. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you that know what guy. I mean. Yes. The first no, pope. Yes. yes, yes. For all the Catholic audience listening, yeah. um, but it's like really, really low level, yes. normal. Whereas, as as yeah. Luke's pen is much more. Whoosh, yeah, know, that's what's so fascinating about you know, and, and we don't have time really. We, maybe in another podcast we could talk. We just talk genre the whole. Oh, the whole time, right? I mean, it's just fun. the idea of all, and I, I agree with you on Genesis. It's, I used to, used to teach Amazing. Genesis to the students here, yeah. but I changed it to Exodus because there's just, there's too much. There's it's, a lot going just, on. For one semester with it's these kids, on, it's yeah. like, there's a lot of explaining to do about a lot of those You've got a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> <laughs> From the back, every week a kid would raise that. Yeah. Sorry, 
you got so explaining. There's just to do. there's so many things. It's amazing, but I, New Testament. I like jo- I like John. I, I, that's my John. New Testament book. Yeah, John's Again, because so many levels of art, and and it's taking yeah. it's taking something and it's telling you what it all means, and it's very kind of esoteric and feel. It's yeah. theological commentary. So you have what they call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which comes from the, the Greek word for like, uh, you know, you're, you're an optical, like they all see together kind of the same Jesus. So they're very similar. Uh, Matthew and Luke are building off Mark and, and extrapolating out stories. Mark was the first one written, but they all have this common view of Jesus, which he did this and he taught this. But then John's kind of this whole other thing where he's right. like, I'm gonna tell you what this all means. He's probably writing later. He's yeah. probably assuming those three gospels and people's consciousness yeah. and he's saying, now, what is the, you know, so it's not just Jesus was born, it was the light came into the world mm-hmm. and the world did not, you know, accept him. You know, it's yeah, like, it's okay, right. now we're gonna tell you what it all means. And 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 we've never preached John at, at Village yeah, Church. And I think we Maybe will, we well, we definitely will yeah. at some point. It will it will take a while because of all that depth and meaning, uh, because we could have a lot of fun going into um, the brilliance of what this does. Well, maybe we'll put we'll put John on the list for. I yeah, for I think maybe it's when next. we debate out the next the next book. I mean, comment under this video. Yeah, let us know let what us do you know. want us to actually hit in the next. The what next do you book think series? about the Gospel of John? I mean, right now, as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking maybe we do. Maybe John. we should. Hey, we do John. What do you guys think? Tell us I what like you think about John. I like back to a gospel. I mean, yeah. I think that would be good. 21 chapters of just brilliant stuff. You know, it's amazing. Okay, Anyways. favorite favorite okay. book that's not a biblical book for you? Oh, like just like just a novel or, yeah. or a, what do you think, a fiction what do you think or nonfiction? Like, this is my favorite fiction book. I'm on an island and I can bring one book. Fiction or nonfiction? Well, let's say fiction. Fiction, okay. Um, well, I don't, I don't read enough fiction, um, but... I would say the best novel I've ever read, I got halfway through The Brothers Karamazov. I wish I could sit here and tell you I love it and, and know it and got through it, but I couldn't because they say it's like maybe the greatest novel I've ever written, that and you know, some, of the, some of the other Russian stuff that yeah. you've read in black and white and whatever. But, um, <laughs> I just finished Anna Karenina. Yeah, so it's, it, but it's Tolstoy. Not, it's like, it's yeah. a, it's a but no, but they say, it's The Brothers a, Karamazov may yeah. be the greatest novel yeah. I've written. And, but like, yeah. you, it's, it's up there with, the right. Tolstoy ones and a yeah. couple of the, and you know, uh, a yep. couple of the other ones that they talk about. But, um, so I'd like to say that, but I would honestly say that the most impactful novel I've ever read in my life is A Tale of Two Cities by mm. Charles Dickens. I think that changed the way I viewed and interacted with art and literature in high school. Mm. I read that, yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Huh. You Dickens. like, you like Tale Dickens. of Two Cities? Dickens is amazing. I haven't read Tale of Two Cities. Okay. I haven't, I haven't read a lot of Dickens. Um, it yeah, is actually... From the vantage point of like, so it's brilliant writing, obviously. Like every yeah. sentence is thought through. The guy's unbelievable with the English language. But what's cool about it, for those of you out there, you know, um, going, yeah, boring, it's actually not boring at all. It's the plot no. is amazing. And what it does in the end is it's just a surprise ending. So everything turns and flips, and you're like, what, 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 wait, what? And so it's got this kind of, which I also heard about, um, so one of the things we do um, with our kids is we read them, we homeschool, and so we read them all these like, who is, so Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Yeah. the whole day was spent reading a book about Martin Luther King Jr., what he right. did, watching films of him, they had to write a little essay on him, whatever, right? So 
And then this kid, not to bash public school, it was great. This kid came over who goes to school after that. And my kid's like, so is Martin Luther King Jr. Day? Like, what'd you do in school? She's like, who? We didn't talk about anything. <laughs> it's like, oh gosh. So anyway, so, uh, but one of the things that we read when we were, uh, we were away, we read them a book, Who is J.K. Rowling? And we were talking about her story about how she wrote Harry Potter and all. And her favorite book was Emma. Mm. Um, by uh, Jane Austen. Uh, Jane Austen, yeah. yeah. And 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 when you look at those Austens and Bronte sisters and all that, we look at them as like maybe boring stories because we right. think of them. They actually are super plotty and oh, have yeah. twists and turns. And oh, she yeah. based the concept of how yeah. Harry Potter, like when you read Harry Potter, there's all these twists and turns, and like you don't find out to the end of why that character. And she based that on. So many readings of Emma. She was like, this is what I want. So we sometimes yeah. think these are all, all dusty stories that aren't sure. interesting. These things are There's a level of depth that you don't get in the quick, you know, media of today. Yeah, that no. You open yeah. up one of these books and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, oh. this is actually, they're spending 800 pages explaining a fairly simple story. Yeah. It's it's a it's an interesting question uh, because art is, uh, okay, so here's a debate I have in my in my um, in my higher thinking moments, uh, what would I rather, or what would I, what do I think is more powerful? Okay, a picture mm -hmm. or words. So here's my here's my example. Well, there's a saying about this. A picture is worth a thousand <laughs> words. Yes, I, <laughs> there is. Someone else has thought of this. No, but here's my yes. But here's my pushback to that. Okay, so. Uh, as philosophers talk about this. So yes, a picture is worth a thousand words. Meaning if I put a picture of Martin Luther King Jr. up on the thing, it's like, there's a picture. You're like, oh my gosh, there's nothing more brilliant than watching it because you see the, you know, the, all the people in the background and he's up there and you get all these things. But as one guy I was listening to pointed out, he said, but think of this, think of this sentence, he said. He said, uh, I can tell you, I could show you a picture of the water turning into wine. Okay. Right. Or I could say, the water saw its master and blushed. Hmm. That's powerful. Yep. So well, do you want to see? A, do you want a painting of Jesus' hand over the water? Or do you want to hear the water saw its master yeah. and blushed? It's, it's, that it's, to me seems more. It's powerful. invoking your imagination. Yes. In a way that that kind of visual media doesn't in some ways. Right. So it's, we watch TV and we watch a guy get in bed or we have we read a novel and it says something about what that all means and how it smelt and yeah. Anyway, actually, so that's there's, the there's actually a theological implication to this. This is the same reason why J.I. Packer are yeah, no, why J.I. Packer argues form of medium. that you should not have drawings of Jesus. Pictures of God. Right. Yeah. Because he says it's actually out of the Ten Commandments, making images yes. covers the idea of you shouldn't be creating a Graven small image. idea yes. of who God is that you look at. Limit, yeah. Because it will limit. Yeah, it limits. Well, who it's he more is than just God, because of course that's blasphemous if we try to draw God that's literally. But Jesus himself, yes. he says, yes. right? He like, says, don't, don't do pictures, don't, don't do. He says, don't use the crucifix. Like like him hanging on a cross as anything to do with right. like your worship experience. Yeah. Because and then he says, you reduce he wrote, everything down to that yeah. moment. He said when he wrote knowing God, that's the thing he gets the most pushback yes, about. 
it's, it's, it's a it bit might weird be a part of his book. Puritan yeah. theology. Like he's coming out. He's a good Puritan boy, and, and I don't yeah. think they did Christmas. Or, like they see all of that as well. The funny, bad the funny story is, and we'll probably do this again. I may, oh, we have to decide this year at Good Friday whether we do the Passion of the Christ thing. Yeah. But I literally, I remember when I first came to village. Sorry, just to cl- clear, <laughs> not whether we talk about the Passion no, of the sorry. Christ as a historical event, but show the film. We, we okay. so what we difference. do here. So okay, when I first came on at Village, yes, um, we developed. Uh, this whole presentation. Yes, of the Passion of the Christ Good film Friday, mixed in with worship. Yeah. Mixed in with the worship yeah. of yeah. Passion of the Christ. Yeah. And I remember working on this idea and then literally reading that chapter out of Knowing God after right. we had done it and went, Oh, is this wrong? Was everything we just, I just created blasphemous? <laughs> Showing it. And so every other year when we do it, I kind of go, Yeah. A it's a great image. service, right? Because yeah, it's so it's impactful great. for people and the response we get anything. So I think, we'll do, but I, I always have this thing in the back right. of my head, like Packer, you know, every year we <laughs> do that going, are you sure? I don't uh, like that you uh, show. That's what the, it sounds like, actually. The, the Passion of the Christ movie yeah. in the video. I don't like that's it. Three that's, hours. That's what he would say. Three hour lectures. By the way, just, uh, yes. By the way, uh, just for people out there, and I think this is important for them to know. When people talk about the passion of the Christ, what what I think people think is that it means like his excitement, right? Or yeah, his, yeah. Uh, he's passionate. Yeah. Um, but historically, the word passion in the Greek comes from suffering, and uh, they're called the passion narratives in the Gospels. So it's like when the when the story moves from Jesus is teaching stuff to now he's in Gethsemane. From the moment he's in Gethsemane to the moment he is dead has historically been called the passion narratives. It's the suffer. It's the narrative that focuses in just on his suffering from the Greek word for suffering. And so that story, so a passion narrative, people used to go to passion plays around mm-hmm. Easter historically. And what they were is they weren't the story about Jesus and his whole life, like he's doing the Sermon on the Mount. It's just from yeah. Gethsemane to his death. That's what Mel Gibson's doing in that movie, drawing on a deep Catholic background of the suffering story. That's why it opens in Gethsemane. It's not a life of Jesus. So uh, when you're saying the passion of the Christ, it's literally his suffering. It's the story about his suffering, and and people sometimes think, think boy, that movie's great. It shows the real passion of Jesus. He's really jacked up about what he's doing. Time and culture, it's like we all have our, it's so important what our passion is. Or it's, it's right, like so vernacular we story use about Jesus like, Enneagram. Oh yeah, yeah, this is like his whole- His like, profile. No. Yes. Okay, okay. we don't want to run out of time. Yeah. The book. So I noticed online that because these people are making all these end of decade posts Did I send you this online or did you just notice? No, no, I noticed oh, okay, on like okay, Facebook yes, and yes. stuff. Okay, okay. That you started getting mentioned at like mm. end of decade lists of things. And one of those was the Zondervan Publishing Company, top books of the whole decade. And they listed your book on that, which yeah. is pretty amazing. Yeah, thank I mean, you. you put a lot of work into the book. Mm-hmm. I know for you, knowing you, you know, that's cool to hear. I mean, we all like those kind of affirmations because it means yeah. some, they're saying that what you did was good work, which we all want to do good work. Yeah. So that's, that's really great. But I know for you, more than that, the, the impact stuff is why you wrote the book. You didn't yeah. write a book like this so that you could just be told it was well-written. No. You wrote a book like this so that people would come to Christ. Yeah. So what are the, some of the stories of that, like that you've heard of people using it where you go, this is what has made this all worth it for me. Yeah. Like, well, people post stories on Instagram or DM me or email me, um, and I've just had so many over the years, which is just like, hey, my, you know, I was thinking of a guy talking to me the other day. He's like, 
uh, all my 20 year olds, you know, walked away from the Lord, didn't care about anything, blah, blah, blah. And they all started, and then my, my son started dating this girl, non-Christian, uh, didn't really know how to lead her to Christ. And so gave her your book, read the book, came to Jesus, now comes to church and blah, blah, blah. And, and so it's like those kind of stories right. and just those flood in where it's like, I use your book, my friend came to Christ. I use your book because, and one thing people don't understand, sometimes uh, confuse me when I get feedback about the book. The book isn't meant to be read from start to finish. It's a topical book. You can just, you can parachute in. So a lot of people said I got bogged down in the science chapter, for instance. Right. I didn't understand certain words. I had to look them up. And I'm like, I did my best uh, to, uh, as any communication form would do, to, to to boil it down in terms that everybody would understand, that the populace would understand. But uh, if science isn't your thing, then just go to the hell chapter. Go right. to the sex chapter. If hell is your thing. Yeah, if hell is your thing. If your question is, can hell be legitimate? Yes. If your question is the exclusivity of Christ, if your question is uh, sex, if your question is the Christ myth, then just hone it, just zero in on those chapters and use that uh, with your friends. And so one way I've heard it is people will say, hey, let's both read the book together. They're non-Christian friends, right? Okay. Uh, both read the book together and then we'll get together for a coffee or a beer or whatever once a week and we'll talk about that chapter. Right. So you read the chapter on sex, whatever. Great way to do it. Do it, let's meet, let's talk about it. What do you think? And it's non-Christian, yeah. that way you're getting actual non-Christian feedback on ideas and you're able to engage and, and use in that way. So I would tell you to read It's a resource. It's a re that's what I, yeah, that's what, that's what you hope. So those are some crazy stories that come in constantly or the how people used it came to Christ because of it. And then preachers using it in their, in their churches, you know, oftentimes oh, yeah. you see that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, both in the United States and in Canada, a couple in Europe even, where they do a whole series called The Problem of God. And they'll, you know, sometimes they'll ask me, sometimes they won't. I don't, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, like I care. It's like, go. This is like the copyright. Use my stuff and never cite me. I don't care. Just preach to your people like it's yours. Uh, and, and people do that. And so it's pretty cool to see that. Like pastors doing eight weeks on this. And it's literally the images that they've taken and they use it up on the screen and they preach through yeah, the series cool. and it's great. So anyway, yeah, so cool it's, it's been amazing. I've been amazing and it's had more of an impact than I probably ever thought it did or that uh, maybe Zondervan thought it would originally. And, yeah, really. and so, yeah, so it's been, it's been awesome. So use it uh, in that way. So you're not done though because you're writing a second book. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. People may not know you're actually in the middle of writing another book now. Hopefully, yeah. Can be as I literally cool as this I was writing it when we started recording this. So thanks for throwing this right in the center of my writing process. I'm just kidding. Uh, so I'm writing a chapter right now on miracles. So what's uh, the premise of the book? Good. So the premise of the book is uh, the problem of Jesus. I think it's probably going to be called the problem of Jesus. Mm. Um, and it's specifically about the life and ministry, the, the kind of scandalous life and ministry of Jesus. And so um, the problem of his stories, meaning his parable, the parables, what did they do? What were they? How did they function? Um, the problem of Jesus himself, which is kind of a historical analysis on did he actually even exist? Mm -hmm. And if he did, what, what was he actually about? Like, was he about timeless st stories that, was he just one of the Buddhas and one of the esoteric teachers of the time? What was his actual point? What was his message? What was his, you know? Uh, and then the gospels themselves, uh, a, a kind of a defense of why historically they're trustworthy and why they make sense. And actually then secondly, how they all work. And so we were kind of 
hinting at some of this, but the brilliance of like how the gospels structure their narrative in order to make an, a theological point that they're not like, it's not that they, he just like said all this stuff in that order. And they just said, this is what he did. They're, they're doing theological work. They're taking something from later in his life and they're bringing it earlier because Mark's organizing the work for a certain agenda, you know, so I go into all those little things. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating. You know, when he goes in, he curses the fig tree, uh, or, he, or he goes in, he curses the temple, and then he and then he curses the fig tree, and then he comes back out, and they're like, "Well, what did that fig tree mean?" And then he comes back out, and they're like, "Oh my goodness!" And he's they're sandwiching this thing where he, the thing that he did to the to the fig tree is going to happen to the temple because you know all of this organizing. Sermon on the Mount, he probably just doesn't do. Like, it takes you know I don't know twenty minutes to read the Sermon on the Mount out loud. I don't know twelve. Probably right. doesn't mean he just right. said that. It's a compilation okay. of what he was doing over a weekend. You know, it's always so. Anyway, so, what do the Gospels mean? And then uh, I have a chapter on loving God. I have a chapter on uh, the cost of discipleship. Um, so just like uh, miracles, you know. So one part of it's like a defense of this stuff, so yeah, that you so can yeah, kind of uh, like the problem of God, where it's an apologetic for Jesus and all these things. But then there's probably even more so than the problem of God. A, a, a I'm going to write to a Christian audience as well about Jesus and what all this meant. Um, and so I have this, you know, weaving in modern psychology and Jordan Peterson stuff and Freakonomics and, you know, all of these things to compile to just a great book about everything I've read about Jesus in 20, the last 20 years and going, here's my presentation, not only to a skeptic, but also to a Christian reflection on who Jesus is. So give us right now, just a quick... This is the mind-blowing thing about the Miracles chapter you're writing right now that you're just working on right in this moment and people are like getting to drop in and see well, I your manuscript. Okay, right I'm now. not going to say that it's mind-blowing, right? I mean, I didn't, um, one of the things I was going to do, I was going to structure it like, here's what Jesus' miracles are all about. And then I was going to argue why philosophically it actually makes sense that miracles could exist. But then I read C.S. Lewis's book on miracles and he said, you got to do it in reverse order. You have to argue for the probability of philosophical, philosophically about miracles and then right. move into, did Jesus actually do these? Right. So I've spent, you know, two months on the philosophy piece. It's 25 pages. Now this stuff gets edited down, but right now I got 25 pages on the philosophy of miracles right. and the scientific probability of miracles and arguing against the old apologetic, the old argument that uh, miracles, you know, so a naturalist, a materialist, most people walking around the, the Western world, their deduction is miracle, Jesus didn't do miracles because miracles can't happen. Why can't miracles happen? Because naturalism is true. Right. Basically, nothing awesome. outside of the laws of nature actually take place. We all know this. This was the argument of David Hume. So I go into why David Hume is wrong, why enlightenment philosophy is wrong, and why that old picture of science hmm. with these fixed laws has all been blown up by the new science that's out. So, so quantum mechanics, physics, it's all redrawing all these old Newtonian versions of there are fixed laws and everything. And it's like, no, no, quantum mechanics is like, dude, there could be literally one thing on the universe over here and it disappears and reappears on the other side. Like the universe is the crazy and we're learning crazy stuff about the universe where it's like, nothing's off the table anymore. That old, like an apple fell from a tree and hit me on the head. Like, so there's all these fixed laws, all that's out the window. So I'm going into all these, like, what are the new scientists saying? And based on the new science, it's like miracles, yeah totally could happen because the universe is way more complex than we ever thought. Anyway, so 
it's kind of deconstructing the old arguments of miracles can't happen, showing them to be circular, showing them that they more come out of a um, kind of an a priori, I already believe this, thus I'm not going to believe that, versus the evidence actually is that miracles can't happen. So I go into why the evidence actually, you know, because for instance, the, um, so David Hume said, uh, you know, we know that miracles don't happen because every experience we have in life, they don't happen. And so the probability is so low because you, you know, whatever. And of course now, um, Craig Keener wrote a book, two volumes, 800 pages. And half of the book is going into modern day, um, medical, legit because right. he's he's an academic right yeah. he's not like a crazy like i think you're healed because yeah, yeah he's like let's go into the data into all of these claims of miracles he goes in he, he's claiming there's 200 million modern claims of miracles in direct response to prayer mm -hmm. okay so he goes into all seven continents africa asia Latin America, goes to all of them yeah. documents out for 500 pages the story about this miracle and my point is I start sharing some of these and then I'm like, look, only one of these needs to be true for yeah, naturalism yeah, true. to be false. Yes. Only one. And not only one in modern times, take Ever. them all yeah. for the last thousand years. Only one has to be true for all of naturalism to fall apart and say, you can't have that as a worldview and a concept. Mm -hmm. And then I talk about, cause he talks about probabilities, mathematical probabilities and miracles happening. So I go into stories about, you know, uh, the mathematical probability, well, of the universe, if you're a naturalist, it's all problematic because the universe should have never come into existence and origin of life. Of course. The chances of the origin of life are impossible, yeah. but it just leaving nature by itself. Um, but, but I go into like these, uh, the perfect bridge hand, the statistic on the getting the perfect bridge hand are so crazy. Like it, literally it would take me like, you know, a full minute to write out the amount of zeros or whatever. And yet there's many people who have said it's actually happened to them. Right. Um, I tell the sweet baby Jesus story and talk about the, all the, the probabilities, the chances of all these things happening, but it happened. So we can't go, well, my experience says the probability is this area. Anyways, all of that to say, uh, I get into that and a whole bunch of other philosophical cool things about, now I'm into the piece about, okay, now Jesus and his miracles in the gospels, what are they? What did people see? And the fact that the most liberal, skeptical scholars, Rudolf Bultmann, who didn't believe any of this stuff was true, uh, like in the Gospels, uh, he even says, uh, John Dominic Crossan, who runs the Jesus Seminar, who basically has beads about uh, none of this actually happened, even all of them say, miracles actually happened in Jesus' ministry. All the historical data mm. tells us they did. There was a phenomenon that happened with him that the only explanation is that it actually happened. Now, what are we gonna do with that? Right. And so, um, so I'm going into a lot of that and talking about, you know, okay, so here, here's, some, here's something I just wrote. How many, I'm just gonna ask you this on the spot, and you're not dumb if you get this answer wrong because you know, because I didn't know it until yesterday. If I said to you, mm -hmm. take Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Yes. Don't count a, a, a redo. Okay. How many miracles, different, unique miracles, yeah, miracles across all four gospels do you think they record of Jesus? So redos count as one. Redos count as so one. Just original miracles. Add them all. Hey, I read Matthew. I read Mark. I read Luke. I read John. This is how many separate miracle accounts there are of Jesus. Unique miracles. Oh man. And I never I'm thought about this until yesterday. And so I. Was I'm going to say wrong. like 15. Okay. It's a pretty good guess. 34. Okay. 34, 34. separate. That's a little more than I thought. 
34 separate miracles. Now, if you use it, I said 15 because I figure I, I was thinking was. Why is he I bet you it's me? very low because right. there's all sorts of stuff that's repeated. So here's right. So that, so then you get so what I talk about is you got 34 different miracles. You got six exorcisms, three raisings from the dead. Then I go through the kind of yeah. data and talk about you know so. So you got you got a you got a thirty year guy, thirty five year guy, three years of ministry. So yeah. he's doing ten a year. Right. <laughs> now that would be noticeable. Now, 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 ten a year. But I, I'm going. I thought he's doing a couple a day. Right. Now, now, but here's my point. Now there are these. Here's the next thing I say. But there are these summary statements. All in all four gospels that say, and he healed all of them. Right. So I was going to ask you that before yes, I answered yes. that. I was going to say, what about so, those yeah, moments? Yeah. Right? So, 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 and he healed them. And then he had this group and he healed all of them. So he could have been like 300 over there and whatever. But they uniquely do 34. And my point to that is when the skeptics say, uh, the early church created the gospels and made up stories about Jesus and their legends and their myths and they're all made up. My kind of argument is, if that were true, you'd think they'd like, A, do more stuff, and they'd extrapolate right. more. These these are very humble. They're very restrained presentations of Jesus. That's my point. They're very like, there's only 34. Right. And when they do do them, it's not like, and he started to glow, and he shot fire. You know, he's just like, touch right. walk away, don't tell anybody. There's a humility to it all, or restraint, well, that I think could, is brilliant. You could almost argue, you could go either way. You could go, or you'd say, why didn't they just account like one yeah. or two incredible, that no one could ever now verify. Right. You know what I mean? Right, and, and they're very public. You know, and then uh, Richard Bauckham talks about the idea that he names, they name people and why they're naming people is so that there's eyewitness accounts. They're footnoting them. They're saying, if you doubt this, go and check right. on this guy and his village yeah, and Jairus's daughter. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And that's yeah. the brilliance of the New Testament and why it's not mythology. It's not legend because those stories read very differently than the, than the gospels do. The gospels tell us little, like what C.S. Lewis as a guy who used to read mythology and poetry in medieval, he's an Oxford professor of medieval literature, he would go, these are unlike all of the stories at the time. Because the, 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 he's like, modern narratives, modern novels say little things like, it started to rain and there was a cushion on the left side of the boat. Like that's, he's like, no story that time talked no. like that. Modern novels did. And he's like, so one of two miracles are happening. Either they're actually just telling us what happened or someone predicted the entire genre of modern novelistic narrative and right. put it in there. Either way, it's a miracle. Yeah. Right. So um, all that to say, these are like presentations that are super humble. He healed that lady. He did this. He did this. And so I'm getting into all of that and saying, man, historically, this, this is actually legit. Like miracles actually happen. And then the last section, okay, now what does all that mean you know, for us? So anyway, so that just happens to so be something one, I'm working on right now. So one section yeah. of one yeah. part of the new book you're writing. Yeah. So there you go. There's a lot more. A lot more right? to come. When do you think yeah. it's going to be done? This is my last question. Yeah, I'm done seven, up. probably, I'm done six out of 10 chapters, seven out of 10 chapters right now. So okay. I'm, yeah, I'm 70%, 80% done. So, so I don't know what that means. I mean, it probably comes, yeah, I don't know. It probably comes out. What do you think you It'll come out in 2021. Nice. The, the, the goal was January 2021. Okay. I may miss that uh, just because I, you know, I want it to be something I'm proud of. Like right. this came out two, two years ago, two and a half years ago. I'm still as proud of it today as I was when I published mm -hmm. it. And so I refuse to kind of publish something in a rush 
right. that I'm going to like in six months. Because they want to get you on the marketing train and all yeah, that. Like, yeah, yeah, you want it to be. No, I want it to well, be maybe you'll my hit, best maybe work. Maybe you'll hit January. Maybe it'll but be But it's going to be an awesome book. It's going to be very... Yeah, we didn't... Um, it, originally, we were going to try to do fall of this year. And you know why we didn't? Right. Oh, this current year. This, coming, this year right now. No, why? Election in the States. Trump, oh, it's coming Trump here. versus whomever oh, I see, I see. will take over everything right. and no no one's going to be right. looking at your Instagram post about read the problem of Jesus. They're going to be like, Trump just blew up the world or whatever. And so it's going to be like, nothing's getting through. So everyone's just waiting. Yeah, no one's true. publishing anything yeah, for like people, four months. I'm hearing know, that about all sorts of different marketing yeah, stuff. It's like, just, everyone just shut down, stay at home. Uh, so anyway, so it's going to be 2021, hopefully first quarter. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're looking forward to it. Thank Thanks you. for listening. Thanks yeah. for watching. And we'll see you next time on our Anything Goes podcast.